Good, uh, good evening, everybody. Um, this is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review. Joined, as always, maybe not always, 99.9% of the time. Yeah, Nick Boffield. Yeah, there. one, there's that one You should have gotten Nick today. I think he would have been good. <laughs> Enthusiasm through the roof today. Yeah. Uh, that's John Niatawa from the Omaha World Herald. And we are coming to you from the work room at the Central League Center after Creighton's 89-83 Upset over number three Villanova, a game, a game that Creighton needed, but probably going in you didn't think was gettable. Uh, certainly not after the news that Ronnie Harrell Jr. was not going to play due to a foot infection uh, that kind of sprung up on him overnight. Um, but no, need, needless to say, the the Jays found a way to get it done against one of the best offenses historically in college basketball history and one of the best teams certainly in the country this season. Um, John, your your thoughts on maybe first of all how, I guess, maybe surprised you were that Creighton was able to do what it did um, and have enough in the tank also to not only finish it but go to overtime and finish mm-hmm. it. Right. Um, well, I thought that the way that Creighton – it's funny, I was literally talking – to a couple guys before the game, Creighton's radio crew, um, about how we haven't seen this team play with um, just complete heart, energy, toughness, grit, whatever adjective you want to use. That so maybe that edge that it that it has shown at times this year. Um, like we haven't seen that from this team over the last few weeks, and I didn't know if that had. If it was just, hey, a couple games didn't go their way, and that's kind of sapped them of that energy, um, was it? Does it go all the way date back to the Martin Crumple injury, which is which sapped them of zapped them of some confidence, and mm-hmm. maybe um, subconsciously they allowed themselves to buy into that talk that it it did lower the ceiling for the team, and and maybe they weren't able to kind of reach where they wanted to go or. They couldn't reach a potential that they seemed to be on track for before Martin went down. I don't know what it was, but it just seemed maybe it was just t- fatigue and tired, being tired. But I just felt like Creighton hadn't shown that. But I knew, I had a good feeling that the Jays were going to find a way to at least start the game with um, with some bounce, mm-hmm. and they did. And so my, but as it wore on, I think the biggest surprise to me was the finish um, because. 68 60 with with four and a half minutes left after Villanova had gone on I think it was an 18 to four run like that's usually game over for Nova I mean that's yeah. how that's how they've that's how they've won four straight Big East titles by doing what's necessary during the last eight minutes of a game to put to either put a team away or build enough of a cushion to where you know a desperate um, backs against the wall home team can't f- claw its way back there's just not enough time the lead's too big like they they've there's no question I mean maybe maybe it's maybe players don't think like this but I'm sure they got to shoot Marcus Foster kind of admitted it a little bit but like Nova gets in people's heads in this league I mean they've won four straight titles how do how do they not Mm -hmm. um and when they well especially in that situation you're talking about right they make that you think you're so close and then you feel it slipping away you think Man, we got to hit one real quick here. And then Otherwise, when, right? And when you don't, it's like, oh, Villanova keeps scoring. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a two point lead. Uh oh, it's a four point lead. It's six. It's eight. Villanova's up eight with four and a half minutes left. How are we gonna How are we gonna claw our way back from that? Like, mm-hmm. how do we eliminate that um, that deficit? And I mean, it's, especially it's when not, you feel like there might only be eight possessions, nine possessions left in the game. <laughs> yeah, and it's not it's not exactly a question you ask when you're playing DePaul. No. Or or Georgetown. I mean, certainly you don't want to be in that spot down eight with four minutes left, but um, you're pretty confident. Whereas against Nova, I feel like, and Creighton's not alone in this in this league. When you're playing against the reigning champions, um, a team that has a reputation for turning it on down the stretch, and here it was turning it on. Mm-hmm. Um, that felt like it felt like game over, and it felt like Creighton was uh, the guys. You know, the last few possession off- offensively leading up to that moment. Um, you know they didn't get great shots. Didn't get great lift on their shots. It didn't seem they were maybe just a step slow. It looked like they def- were running out right? defensively. I yeah. thought they were running on fumes. But McDermott, Coach McDermott, called that timeout. Um, some of the players remarked afterward that uh, they thought that the uh, um, 
that even though they that that thought kind of creeped in, like uh oh, here we go again, they immediately dismissed it and started talking about hey, next possession, let's fight for let's fight for one possession and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let's fight for one possession and we'll see what happens. Greg McDermott mentioned that uh, Marcus or the the team maybe particularly Marcus Foster at times in those moments when they need a bucket or need to come up with a comeback or a rally in in a key stretch that they kind of go for the home run they're hunting for uh, a lot of threes and a momentous run mm-hmm. but they they really stay committed to that sort of what's kind of grinded out uh, and Jay Wright specifically noted the play they they came out with in that, out of that timeout right uh, the but, one that they got the lob to Epperson. Yeah, um, that was a funny quote. He said, yeah. "He said, yeah, Matt got me on that one. <laughs> good which, play. Yeah, um, um, yeah, which helped. So good execution, but that's what they need to do. They well, what, to was, what was interesting that. to me is just how how the 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 course of the final ten minutes of the game it completely flipped from what you would expect. Yes, um, with a team like Villanova, Creighton again, was executing like Villanova. Right, really exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Ran that play to Epperson. Villanova was the team that gambled on the next possession. Phil Booth went for a steal, didn't get it. Mar- Marcus Foster wide open for a three. Um, bang, just like that. Five points. It's a three possession or it's a three point game, one possession game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Creighton's right back in it with. And Jay Wright called that timeout. I mean, and, and the Jays are right back in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that with you know three minutes left and. I, I guess I just I was um, given the way the game had trans transpired. You think about Creighton and lost eight in a row to Villanova, and so many of those games Creighton um, had had like been shoulder to shoulder, you know, keeping pace with them the whole game. That's what that's what I always oh, thought was interesting. And when you were going back and watching old Creighton Villanova games, is like there's like a back and forth nature to it for about twenty to twenty five minutes. And then it flips, yes. and Creighton never recovers from it. Right, well, and that's la- usually what's been happening here lately. last year. That it was back and forth all the way till the final four minutes. Right, but it still flipped. Right, it did. Villanova pulled by ten. You know, yeah, in a game that didn't feel like a ten point. Rose game. it up into the next gear, into that next level, and, and Creighton couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all the games last year had that same feel. Creighton played with Villanova, and ever, or the game at I mentioned the game here last year, but then the game at Villanova, the game in the Garden. Yeah, like they were close, and then bang. Um, they weren't close anymore. Mm-mm. And so that's kind of what it felt like that that, that was about to happen. But credit um, Creighton and the guys for – for because it, it's funny, like, I'm sitting here sort of assessing the game and trying to recap what happened. And to me, it, it's all, it was all about the intangibles. It was yeah. all about um, Creighton's sort of guts and its grit. I said that there's, like, all the sports cliches apply. <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? like, yep. that's, it felt like going back to that 2014-2015 team that was – you know, severely undermanned the year after Doug and Grant and Ethan and Jahans graduated. Um, they were severely undermanned, oftentimes banged up, not 100%, you know, just kind of grinding their way through matchups. And they find a way to win at Xavier. Um, they take Nova down to the wire in Omaha. They take Xavier to a one-point game on senior day in Omaha. Like, uh, Seton Hall was a one-point game, I think, both places, um, Omaha and New Jersey. And then... Uh, Marquette, same difference. Like there were so many games that team found themselves in at the end of it, where you're like, where you kind of just sit back and go, "How is this undermanned group just like continuing to fight these battles as hard as they are, knowing how many losses they keep taking in these situations?" And that's what today felt like. Yeah, Creighton had no choice but to respond. There were there were two options: fold or fight. You know what I mean? Um, undermanned, you lose your two best rebounders. Uh, you know, uh, a major playmaker in Ronnie Harrell as well. Offensively, um, you know that could go sideways on you if you let it. But you know, and you know, and 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 Marcus Foster mentioned the look he saw in some of the players before the game, knowing what they were facing. But it didn't seem to be it didn't seem to be facing them before tip off. You know, it didn't seem to be facing them before they actually got to the court and found out what how it was going to be. And you know, maybe that maybe that. Before we can talk about the stretch at the end of the game, which you've done a good job doing so far, the beginning of the game maybe where Creighton was kind of answering, like punch was, for punch, that might me, have been important because yeah, Nova I came out I thought executing that, pretty well. I thought that was huge. I mean, hats off to Tyree Thomas because he was a major reason why. Five for five from deep. <laughs> yeah, right, why yeah. Creighton was in there. But also, I mean, uh, Coach McDermott credited Marcus Foster for not forcing it because in, that, mm-hmm. in those situations a lot of times you kind of have that urgency um, especially he does as the late the Jays' leading scorer, 
you have that urgency that you oh I gotta match this like mm-hmm. I gotta carry my team here like we need a bucket I gotta be the guy and, and I think um, Coach McDermott's point was that Foster didn't force it and he made sure to keep the ball moving and keep everyone engaged and help others kind of get themselves going and um and I, what Mac, Mac might have had the quote of something like, you know, if we're a selfish basketball team, it's fifteen to seven. Mm-hmm. But we were unselfish at fifteen to fifteen, and that was that was important. So, um, yeah, I thought that there was, I thought it was like Nova kind of came in throwing haymakers and was like, maybe we can catch this team um, that's reeling a little bit, three straight league losses, you know, kind of backs against the wall. Maybe we can put them. Uh, take away their confidence and and put them in a in a hole. Kind of tell them this is not going to be a game, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. And yeah. and 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 it didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. and you and really the only reason why it didn't work is because Creighton, um, was up to the challenge and mm-hmm. mentally ready to go. So, um, that yeah, you're felt, right. Though. That was like a that big, got him into the fight. That was a because, big moment. Yeah, the the start of the game and, um, and the Jays never they just they just never lost that edge. They had it from the get go, and um, they. Like you said, but, uh, the play, some of the players remarked about a team meeting they had Friday night where they kind of shared some some thoughts, um, were honest with each other about things they needed to do better. and Honest without being maybe petty. It didn't seem like yeah. – uh, we talked to I different guys. It didn't seem like they the were – The message call, seemed like it was all the same. Yeah, but like it didn't they, seem like they were calling each other out. It was more like right. calling yourself out. Yeah. It was like, I'm not doing this. Which is and not the how next those guy, things usually right, go. Right, the next guy's right. like, I'm not doing this. And mm-hmm. the next guy's like, I'm not doing this. And I think that kind of set the tone for Saturday um, because when they came to the gym, like you said, Marcus Foster looked around and was like, all these guys are ready. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are all ready to play. And, um, and they really showed it, so – I don't they, they needed it. And, I don't and, know who and, struggled tonight. It's it's one of those crazy games. Like I'm not sure who didn't have some kind of contribution. Whether it was in the blockouts, whether it was scoring, whether it was you know going to get the rebound in the first place. When you talked about guys that you know in the past few games are just like maybe the blockouts were fine, but no one goes and gets the ball. Um, you know, uh, defensively, always keeping hands up on shooters. Yeah, um, staying in front of the dribble. Not turning the ball over, not forcing it into like turnovers, not compounding your mistakes. It, I mean, as far as like individually, it didn't feel like anybody had a game where you were like, Creighton won in spite of this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It felt like everybody kind of performed well today. Yeah, and some I, people exceeded that to that to that 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 grade, I guess. No doubt. I mean, I think they probably would have liked to have, imagine get more from Toby and Tyshawn Alexander in a perfect world, I guess, but. Um... It's not like when they were on the floor, you felt kind of what you're saying that there's a drop off or mm-hmm. that the Creighton's not getting what it needs to get. These guys are doing what they're supposed to. This didn't hit the shots they wanted to, um, but but yeah, I mean, it was a team. It was a team wide effort, yeah. and and they couldn't. But they couldn't beat Nova without that. No, it's like if if one guy's having an off day, especially on defense, if one guy's having an off moment, and he's getting beat, like Nova's gonna shove it down that dude's throw over and over again and uh and exploit that weakness consistently and that's why it was important for Creighton to not have it and and they had all five guys locked in for the most part I think there were a few breakdowns at times and Nova buried him I mean beat him for threes at times with Mm -hmm. those but uh you credit Creighton for resetting each possession and and fighting and working hard collectively uh, to keep the best offense in the country uh, somewhat limited. I mean, they finished with they finished at forty one percent from the which, floor, which yeah. is their lowest in Big East play. It's their lowest in Big East play this year, and it's their lowest since losing at Butler on January fourth last year. So thirty three total games against Big East teams. Um, right. It's their second lowest so, of the season. But to me, so that was to me it was the final nine ten minutes yeah. defensively. Like that was that was something else. Creighton um, allowed. I think from that four thirty mark where Nova was up eight, Creighton allowed. Oh, uh, what is it? Nova scored what? Eleven points? No, fifteen points. Fifteen points on the final. That was eleven, thirteen, eighteen possessions. Fifteen points on eighteen yeah. possessions, including the overtime period. I had him at and Creighton had twenty six in the final. And I had Nova finish in regulation those final four minutes. I had him at one of nine from the floor, mm-hmm. and then uh, they were obviously. And that was Brunson's three point play that put after Creighton had taken the lead. That the three point play, yeah. and that was the only bucket they had in the only field goal mm-hmm. and then one free throw from Devin Chenzel so they literally had 
uh, four points in the final four, four minutes, which is something that you wouldn't expect from yeah, Villanova. I'm really so curious you, to go back through like Villanova's how many games, games I mean, and see have, how many times they've had an eight-point lead with four and a half to go and, and lost, lost it. it. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I don't feel like – I feel like what we saw today – I mean, I felt like the building knew what 68-60 with 430 to go and that timeout is called mint. I felt like that was like Creighton's last gasp and usually what happens in that situation is Nova turns that into about a 15 to 20 point win. And it, it just felt like the, it felt like the building kind of knew what was about to happen and I've you know because based on Villanova's history of doing that to teams methodically yeah. just like taking a game that you feel like is in balance and then ripping it away from the opponent. Um, and it felt like Creighton's response to that what we ended up seeing by forcing overtime I mean, they really could have finished it in regulation if they'd hit their free throws. Yeah. If Kyrie hit the, those free throws and, you know, Marcus doesn't, doesn't foul there, um, they could have finished it in regulation. But, you know, and then to bounce back in overtime and execute the way they did offensively especially, um, I felt like that was a rare thing to see happen to a Villanova basketball team. No doubt. So. No doubt. Uh, Mitch Ballack, individuals that will start highlighting a little bit. Mitch Ballack starts in place of Ronnie. Um, due to the injury, plays 43 minutes out of the 45, and uh, 13 points, career high, eight assists, ties his career high with six rebounds, hits a huge three uh, towards the end of the game to give Creighton a 72-71 lead with about 30-something seconds left. Um, also three steals. I don't know if that was that a career high too. Is that the most? Feels like it. It should feel like <laughs> yeah. it. Right? Creighton doesn't get many steals, but uh, big game from Mitch. I mean. Made great, great poise and plays made out of the ball screen situations with, you know, kind of him getting into the teeth of the defense and having to make a play. Um, he had a nice, nice pocket pass, leading Marcus Foster for a dunk on a backdoor cut. Oh yeah, cut. I remember that one. That was a good um, play. He had a couple lobs to to. Uh, it seemed like Jacob. he was the only guy who could find Jacob. Like the timing of Listen, that, he was the only one who timed it. And don't you remember from like preseason when he didn't talking to the coaches? Real well. No, when talking to the coaches, we were like. Who who executes that oh. like pick and roll best? And they think that Mitch is actually the best lob man on the team. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny to see him execute that with Epperson so well today because it's kind of been you know almost thirty games here and you haven't really seen it as much as you thought as we certainly saw it in the summer and preseason. And you know the coaches were raving about his ability to kind of have a good feel and touch on on those lob plays, but it kind of got away from him for a little bit there during the season. Today he was on on the money with both yeah, of those. It was interesting just thinking about Mitch's like the the path of his freshman year. I mean, he was the guy at the on the floor at the end of the game against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they might have gone without a point guard because of Mitch's yep. for Mitch's ability to read ball screens and make the right decision there, and then just Kyrie was the point point guard late in the game for sure. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean he he was playing with a lot of confidence and obviously hit a shooting slump and. Maybe he wasn't quite doing what he needed to do defensively. Um, but he called his jump shot, quote, a joke. <laughs> Did he? Prior to the Marquette game. So, um, yeah, he definitely was not confident in that. Right, shot. and missing box outs, you know, just maybe not being tough enough, that, um, which is something that all freshmen have to deal with. I mean, yeah, I remember I mean, talking, you to, him, learn it as you talking to him and Tyshawn about the Big East. It's like you, you can – like their teammates and coaches told them what to expect about this conference, but – it's so it's totally different experience and on a day-to-day basis of uh, you know just how much is required of you to be ready to play to get yourself ready to play mm-hmm. um, and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again and, and be able to block out some of the miscues and mistakes that you have um, it's it's not easy but it seems like he's turned a corner um, much kind of like the Kyrie, what Kyrie did it's funny because didn't you uh, chart out Kyrie's stats yeah um, his freshman year and compared it to Mitch maybe a couple weeks ago. Well, the funny part is that Kyrie never did turn it around until his sophomore NIT? year. NIT? Yeah. NIT, I thought. Freshman year, NIT? Oh, NIT, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I mean, that's not in Big East. Yeah, not in Big sure. East. But right, in, right. in the NIT, he did. Mm-hmm. And Mitch has turned, turned the corner. I felt like Davion Mintz last year as a true freshman um, had better moments. Maybe he didn't have like a three game stretch where you said, wow, he's, he's taking that next step. But I thought he had. Um, stretches or, or stretches in games, I thought. Um, maybe the second half against Providence in the Big East tournament sticks out. So um, it happens with freshmen. You just don't know when the fl- the switch is going to flip. And right. it seems like it's flipped for Mitch at a 
critical time, obviously, because he had to start for his first for the first time in his, in his career without mm-hmm. Ronnie Harrell. And I thought, too, I, I mean, give him some credit defensively. Like, he guarded at one point. I know he guarded Brunson. I saw maybe switch on to Brunson. But for the most part, he was guarding Eric Pascal, who is taller and has more size. Mm-hmm. And there was at least – I mean, I know Ballard got a – I think he jumped in the passing lane on an entry pass in the post and got a steal, um, stripped – Pascal, when Pascal tried to drive uh, one-on-one on him, I thought his uh, Mitch's aggressiveness and just, I guess, I mean, for lack Basketball of better words, yeah, yeah, instincts, mm-hmm. um, it, it showed up defensively too. So he was big for, for Creighton, no doubt. Jacob Everson, 12 points, 5 of 6 shooting, 5 boards, 2 blocks, 23 minutes. I thought, first of all, he had two really big free throws late in the game. Yeah, that'll kind of get, That'll kind of get glossed over, but... That was that took a took a two point game, put it made it four mm-hmm. um, in in overtime. Right? And it was an offensive rebound off of a Creighton miss too. Yeah. Like I don't know, I, I'm, that not, call I'm not, I'm not crazy about the call because <laughs> well, Divincenzo essentially blocks him out, like you know, lower man wins type of deal. Divincenzo and, forgot that Everson is like two hundred pounds. Yeah, so because Everson's <laughs> not very strong, he kind of flies out of the play like he got egregiously shoved. Right. When really it was probably a good box out by Divincenzo, but whatever. <laughs> Creighton certainly had enough. I think, of yeah, it was like DiVincenzo should have gone into that box out like he was boxing out yeah. at his size, yeah. but he went into it like, I got a box, box out of seven footer. Yeah. 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 And he threw him. Yeah. Everson went flying. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, I thought it was a good box out, but uh, because of the way kind of Everson's body reacted to it, it looked like. And it wasn't it even was. a flaw by Everson. No. Like, that's just no. literally. How yeah, that's reacted. just literally a physical, what physical physicality does to him sometimes. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was one, a, it was a one and one, mm-hmm. you know. So he could have missed the front end, and and they got no points out of that. But he made both of them, so mm-hmm. that was important. But yeah, they went with Epperson for the final four minutes of regulation and all of overtime, um, which is kind of what we, not to go all the way back to like when the red shirt was pulled, but you know, the, that, they don't win that game without his contribution tonight, and that's kind of what we were talking about. Like the ceiling for Creighton, kind of. It doesn't go to Martin's level, you know. Certainly, if they're at full strength, especially if Ronnie's playing today, like their their ceiling wasn't that high today. But it normalizes a little bit, you know. It gets it closes the gap in what would be a, an impossible task at the five position without him. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I mean, Toby had twenty one minutes today. I feel like that's his sweet spot. That, if that's, you ask any more from that, probably fits well with what absolutely need, what they need from going forward. Like that's. That's what they. Need. I mean, if he and Epperson are basically splitting time in half at mm-hmm. the five, because Martin wasn't playing a ton. He was only playing twenty-five to thirty right. a game, you know. So it's not like he was out there at thirty-eight, thirty-nine, and you know, and you had a guy behind him that just wasn't playing at all. Like they were splitting that up pretty well and mixing small lineups and big lineups and yeah. and things like that. But you see the way Epperson changes the game when he's in. So if he can kind of continue to improve little by little by little. I mean, I think this team has an opportunity to be peaking at the right time with all the pieces kind of in the mix and confident. And, you know, today today obviously gives them a huge jumping-off point as opposed to they could have played well and because of Villanova, how good they are, they still could have lost. They would have had to find a way to get confidence um, and not to mention some must-wins right. in their final two games before going into Big East play. Well, I will, say, I, I will say this, that, that Jake, <laughs> Villanova went after it. On, yeah. on offense, and I think he did okay. I thought so there too. was a couple fouls on on Brunson on a ball in a ball screen situation where uh, Brunson attacked him. That the screen kind of took Kyrie out of the play, and it, it, Epperson was sort of left there to try to stabilize and keep Brunson from getting downhill. But he got downhill on mm-hmm. Epperson. Uh, there might have been a couple. I think I marked in my notebook a couple three pointers where either Epperson got too locked in on the action inside and didn't get out quickly enough to his guy, or mm-hmm. uh, maybe was just late on a closeout. And then t- the two plays to start overtime where they basically just said Eric Pascal go one on one against Epson. against Epperson. He, he hit the first two, third, but times the third time he missed it, <laughs> and that was it. That was all J- the Jays needed. You yeah, know? Exactly. And so, but I just thought there was a little bit. I thought um, Jacob Epperson with a little bit more fight and heart and he I mean shoot he grabbed some rebounds mm-hmm. so that was the difference um, that we saw from him late against Marquette when clearly Creighton is a 
Creighton's a good team with him on the floor. Like he brings something totally different to their offense that you know they don't have. Like they would they want him on the floor offensively as much as possible, but he's got to do enough defensively to even that out, mm-hmm. um, or to I mean maybe at least keep that advantage on um, tilted Creighton's way when he's on the floor. So I think he did that tonight. It, I think I, I have to go back and look, but yeah. there were moments when I was like, Uh-oh. no, I think your feelings but right. Probably I don't. Think, it felt like he did enough. I don't think you, I don't think there's going to be a lot. I mean. I, well, he certainly there's probably did. gonna be more than we noticed, but like I don't think we're gonna go back and watch rewatch this and say, oh wow, Everson was, you know, essentially giving Nova whatever they wanted. I felt like there were some good contests, yeah, at the rim especially. Um, he blo- didn't he block a, a Spellman in the second half from behind or something mm-hmm. like that. I thought it maybe it was Spellman went one on one on it on him and he blocked him. So yeah, it, it, I thought I thought Epperson gave some good minutes defensively against Butler. Uh, maybe took a step in the right direction there and then. Against, I mean, he's playing. It's like Coach McDermott said something like, you know, they pulled his red shirt a month ago, and now he's playing against the number three team in the country. Yeah. I mean, what do you? <laughs> there's, there is, of course, there's a lot for him to learn, a lot of room to grow. But what he's given Creighton is, um, perhaps more than I even expected. Yeah, um, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's kind of. It looks like he's trying to give it to him. It's not all there physically, but it looks like he's going to at least try to. Give him what he's got, yeah. and that's really all they asked for when they pulled the red shirt. Was like, look, you're, you know, you're our team's better with you, so whatever you can provide, you know, it's not like, it's not like his his flaws are getting just beaten up in practice, and he's kind of a broken player at this point where he's trying to learn. Like they're trying to like ease him along. They know his learning curve is going to have to be steep because of what their how much time is left in the season, you know, just because him his development versus the clock is like not meshing right now. For a long term, for a long term, like okay, we're going to coach you through it. They are trying to extract more out of him. Yeah, you know when he gets beat up in practice or when he has a, you know, four or five possessions where Manny Suarez is getting the better of him, they kind of challenge him to be, just to be tougher. You know, when they know he's not physically there yet, and they know that he's going to get pushed around a little bit, but you know, just a little bit more toughness, which I think was the theme for everybody. Really, it's not just Jacob. Everybody needed to be tougher today. Um, certainly after the Butler game, and I think. Everybody was. You just didn't know. You didn't know because you didn't know from a results perspective um, if it would be enough to beat Villanova, who's now at full strength and looks to be locked in and playing well. You know, they kicked Xavier's teeth in. They beat DePaul like they were a Division two team. Um, that was a scary team that came in here today. So for Creighton to go punch for punch and you know position for position without Ronnie Harrell, without Martin Crample, all, yeah. the, all the adversity they were facing off of three straight league losses, I think everybody kind of. Um, showed up to the fight today and didn't really have a moment where they they were gonna they were kind of gonna fold. So I just realized I think Creighton out rebounded um, Villanova in the second half, which was aided by the fact that Villanova didn't shoot it well. Yeah, I was gonna say rebounding margin. I always look there's differently, but there's more different. There were more errant shots by Villanova on its end of the floor than on Creighton's end. So. It's easier to get a defensive rebound than an offensive rebound, although yeah, so for Villanova Creighton missed nineteen shots. Creighton got fifteen defensive boards. For Creighton of late, that's been an issue. So yeah. <laughs> no, here I mean I wrote it down too. Uh, if you look at the last six games that Creighton's played, they're two and four with the win over Georgetown and DePaul. Um, they're two and four, and their defensive rebounding percentage over those last six games was sixty six point two percent. Yeah, that's horrible. T- t- it's atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's just get that right out there right. in the open. It's atrocious. Uh, Today it was seventy nine point one percent. Yeah, that's just a, a dramatic improvement, right. in that and it, and it so. showed up. I mean, yeah. and it, 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 it has such an impact on um, on them from a I don't know a swagger standpoint. I mm-hmm. guess you could say like when they get the rebound, they can turn and go. Yeah, that's what they are bred to do. That's what their identity is built around. Especially today, when it was like when you had I mean, Mitch Ballard played forty three minutes at the four. You essentially have four dudes who are just like buckets, yeah. you know, that can kind of create for themselves or others immediately grab the rebound. And you think about you think about eight rebounds from Marcus or just go defensive rebounds. So seven defensive boards from Marcus, eight from Davion, uh, six from Mitch, one from Caleb, two from Tyshawn. So what are we at? 15, 18, 24, 26, 27. 27 of their 34 defensive rebounds were essentially fast breaks waiting to happen. Yeah. And guards, too, by yeah. the way. So yeah. like they, they had talked all week about well, since the Butler game, actually even before the Butler game, honestly, about gang rebounding, everybody getting involved. Um, it's so funny, too, man. Like, I got to have a talk with Marcus about it. But 
I see him in his rebounds. Later? I see him in practice, and this dude dominates rebounding yeah. drills, man. Top of the square he, type of go get it guy. Yeah, he's like one of their best rebounders in practice when they're running through those drills, and so he certainly has it in him. So eight rebounds today, seven on the defensive end is obviously. I think it was that, obviously I think important. It's his third eight rebound game in his last four games. Is it? Yeah. So they need obviously they need it, but they need it from not just him. They need it from a lot of guys because. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, because obviously, and well, they especially needed it today without Ronnie Harrell in the lineup. But it's got to be a collective effort on the glass because they are vulnerable there, and and they were good enough, eh, probably better than good enough, especially in the second half against Villanova. I mean, um, if, if you th- the nineteen misses in the in the second half, plus the seven misses in overtime. I mean, if you think about Nova getting second chance opportunities on 60% of those, I think that's game over. Yeah. Uh, or, or I guess, second chance opportunities on 40% of those. What was that? What was the number that they were giving up? 66.2. Okay, so, so, so they were giving up 44%. Yeah. 34%. 34%? Yeah. I should do math. Better, okay. That's a yeah. lot. Of, that's a lot. It's that, still a lot. <laughs> I mean, 66.2 might be one of those. Like that, if you mark that out over 351 Division One teams, that's that might be worse than the country. Right, if you stretch it out over the course of a yeah, season. Yeah, that's, that's an atrocious number. I mean... Essentially, you're allowing the teams to grab one out of every three, maybe almost one out of every, you know, what two and a half misses, right? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you're not, yeah, you can't run, you can't get stops, like it's it just kind of snowballs. So, yeah, for Creighton, I was surprised that it was close to eighty. I thought it was good, but when I saw the seventy nine point one, I go, wow, that's. I mean, those are those are Martin, pre Martin injury levels of defensive rebounding that Creighton turned in. I mean, other than. If you go back before Martin was injured, their closest they had ninety four point one percent against St. John's. St. John's never crashes the offensive glass at all. They literally send five guys back if they don't hit the shot. So, um, yeah, St. John's is probably the worst offensive rebounding team in the in the in the league for sure. Um, so that number kind of stands out. But uh, before today, the all the games they played without Martin, the closest they came to this number was the 74.1 they had against Providence in the first game without Martin. So, mm. yeah, today was a drama- like a dramatic improvement in that area of the game um, since Martin tore his ACL. Um, what was that next? Oh, uh, I guess the area of the game that Villanova kind of blades you out in, in is like the opportunities you give them, both in second chance points and offensive rebounds. And I felt like going into the first game, I think you said I highlighted cha- that second as chance, second chance points and turnovers. The points of turnovers. Okay, I, yeah. yeah, sorry, I, mess, I misspoke. I figured I knew what you mean. Yeah, you I felt right. like because I need English, you need math, so we're, yep. we'll, we'll work together. Good team. <laughs> um, I felt like that was a big key. I think that's a big key to beating Villanova anytime. I think you can shoot with them, and certainly if you have a potent offense, you can score with them. But it's it's like if you give them too many second opportunities or too many more opportunities than you'll have, they'll bleed you out eventually. No doubt. And the first game, you know, Creighton loses by 20, and Nova outscored him 34-4 to in points off turnovers and second-chance points. And it's not like Creighton gave them a lot of opportunities. They were just incre- incredibly efficient at executing the chances they got. So Creighton was they were minus 30 in that category the first time around. Today it was only minus 8. And Nova only scored. So in Philly, Nova scored 34 points off of a total – of 18 turnovers plus um, second-chance opportunities, offensive rebounds. So the total was 18. Nova scored 34 off of those 18 opportunities. Today, it was 21. So they actually had – the great actually had gave Nova three more opportunities than they gave him in Philly, and but because of the job they did defensively, they only allowed 24 points off right. of those opportunities. That was huge. And I think, too, I mean, it, sometimes it just works out like this, but, like, Creighton committed 12 turnovers, which is actually probably more than it would want. Yeah. Although one of them at the end of the game doesn't, doesn't even count. but Right. So it's kind of like 11 turnovers. Sure. Um, but most of them were dead ball. Yeah, that's the key, right? Right. I, I can only remember three, maybe four of them being live ball turnovers, and that – and not, I don't think any of them, of those three or four, were like backcourt, open court type turnovers where a Nova player could immediately turn and run and, and kind of do a two on one, three on two type situation. I, I think there was one, I, I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't mark it in my notebook. I remember one three pointer, wide open three pointer where Creighton was. Um, and I don't even know if it was after a turnover. Maybe it may have been just after a missed shot, but where Villanova pushed tempo 
and Creighton kind of get set quickly enough, and they left like DiVincenzo wide open or something from the wing. Mm-hmm. But I think that was key. I, again, you can't really control it sometimes what your turnovers are, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the fact that Creighton didn't of the majority of them seem like they were dead ball turnovers, which allows you to set your defense and get it back. It doesn't feel like the same. Um, uh, and, and it certainly doesn't allow for for Nova to be as efficient. I mean, if they're running back on you before you get set, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, <laughs> That's, absolutely. That, that is that is a death sentence against this team. So they they did, um, they did well. Oh, you know, one of them, one of those threes that I, I don't know if this is the one that I was thinking of, but Phil Booth had that three pointer to put him up thirty eight, thirty three after Mitch Ballack tried to find. Uh, Epperson on the lob. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a, it was like that a, one stuck out. Bo- the, the pass got a little errant pass rate mm-hmm. in traffic. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one stuck out. But they, I just think that they, they did they did pretty well. Not having like those pick six, those pick sixes, which they had. I feel like way too many. They had way too many against Butler. They had way too many against Villanova the first time for sure. Mm-hmm. And those are the types of mistakes you can't live with against this team. Definitely. Um, big picture, I. I don't. I'll give you my take on that. You can tell me if you disagree. Um, I don't think Creighton's a lock yet, just because I can see. I'm trying to like think worst case scenario. NCAA tournament. Is yeah. That what like yeah. I think if you lose to DePaul and lose to Marquette, and then you're playing essentially probably the 10 seed in the Big East tournament. If you lose that, that's that's two bad losses um, of a three game stretch to end the season. So I I feel like senior day against DePaul. If they win that, they're a lock because to me it's a must. They'll win. be a top six. Yeah. See if that's so that means if even if you go one and done in I've kind of, in New York, it's a quality. I've kind loss. of always felt like it's a must win just because Creighton doesn't have a ton of quality wins on its resume, and but the counter that the counter argument to that is that it no doesn't have bad losses, losses. and so that's why you don't want to you don't want to give the committee reason to doubt you. Yep. And so if you go into March. Or into the selection Sunday, saying we have zero bad losses. I mean, that's that sends a statement, especially this year, where a lot of the teams around Creighton who are going to contend for those six, seven, eight seeds, they have bad losses. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this has been a crazy year in college basketball. Teams have come out of nowhere on on certain nights and played out of their minds and caught teams. But Creighton, to this point, has done a good job of withstanding, um, you know. Holding its ground, I guess, against uh, the the lesser talented teams on the schedule, and so you, I mean, essentially, when you break it down, I don't know. That, how, there's something to be said with that. Like, there's like they essentially beat who they should have uh, before today. They essentially beat who they should have beaten and lost who they should have lost to. That's yeah, there's, but there's, I think the I, Marquette I, one was the first one that you were like. Okay. I know. I say going into the season in the in Big East, the way it's played out is kind of how I expected. I thought they'd be ten and eight. Okay, but once. They st- once I saw how this team kind of formed itself after the non-conference, I thought ten and eight wasn't good enough. I mean, did I thought re- they were going to be better. Than that. Yeah, Martin I did. Injury? I thought I, I thought that, but oh, oh, after Martine, yeah, I readjusted after non-con, but I don't think I readjusted after Martine. I think I was still kind of like, I'm okay. not sure what to expect with sure. this group. It's yeah. hard to set a standard uh, when when they're recalibrating, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the Martine injury was certainly a blow, and and it kind of. Maybe it knocked Creighton down a notch or two in terms of its potential win total in the Big East, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think we, from a, from a big picture think, standpoint, but you don't think they're a lock yet. I don't think. I agree. A, I, don't, I don't think they're a lock. Yet. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, I feel I, like they're about as because, close. It's only because they're very close. Get, but if you wrong. lose three in a row, with to two end. of them being DePaul or probably DePaul again, right? Yeah, I mean, right. I guess there, there's still a a chance, but I think that what I mean. Regardless of the outcome, obviously it would have been a, a a really tough blow to leave the arena for the Jays with a loss after the effort that they put forth. But uh, regardless of the, the game with the end of regulation, yeah, that, that one would have maybe considering it was Kyrie and Marcus who made the two biggest blunders. <laughs> yeah, if they had lost that game, that's like essentially your two leaders that would have had the shot of confidence drop, and mm-hmm. then everybody follows that into the yeah because they would they would the, not have been feeling yeah, into the into the grave that. essentially. But I thought that. I, I thought regardless of the outcome, though, the way that they had played, I think I made the determination probably with like eight minutes to go in the game that they – because we wondered, hey, what is this team – what can it accomplish? You know, is is it is the season doomed, so to speak, after the way that the Marquette game unfolded and the way Butler – I mean, 
it seemed like teams were finding ways to exploit Creighton, uh, Creighton's flaws and weaknesses in ways that they, they hadn't been exploited all year. And there wouldn't be any answers. Right. Right. That's because what, it's not that's like Creighton's going to bring another guy off yeah. the bench and unveil. It's not like it. Martin's going to be healthy. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? Like he's not gonna, there like are that, some issues. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the main issues, especially after Butler, was effort and energy. And you just wondered, hey, are they – or they just completely zonked. That's and, what and I went in it. looking for today. I don't know about you, but like, you know, it's like it, to go had, in expecting a win over Villanova. I wasn't, you know, what I mean, I didn't go in like that. I went in saying, "Here's what I'll look for." I wrote down things like I would look for to see if Creighton's on the right track to getting themselves off the canvas. You know what I mean? So effort was huge. Defensively, their efficiency, you know, up until a couple weeks ago, was the best in the league in league play. So I was looking for. I was looking for something improving, improvement in that area because um, I know they can fight the Joel better than they had been. I know they can rebound better than they had been. I know they can, you know, make team make it harder for teams to score on them than they had been. But today, I didn't feel like Villanova is a test you can pass even when you're at your best most nights um, because their best is is usually better than yours. Mm-hmm. So I thought Creighton could play their best and still lose today. So win and wins and losses, a win and a loss didn't wasn't what I was hinging my reaction to Creighton's performance today I was I was just going to react to the effort that they put out on the court and like I think like you you mentioned with 12 minutes left you kind of felt good about what Creighton had put forth today it just I was, think that's a pretty good and I think it's a pretty good barometer to judge them by yeah based on how they had played regardless of how it ends um you you probably felt good about what you were seeing as far as what they put it was out there. it was just always going to be a, a question of their mentality and attitude like yeah. I was like okay this is this this team is is capable. It, the team that played against Butler and the second half against Marquette, it was like that six half stretch. The last time we or three half stretch, sixty minutes of basketball. The last uh-huh. that we had seen in the Jays, um, they had gotten outscored by thirty nine points. And I'm like, is that the new team? Is that who this team is now? After after they've had time to recalibrate and opponents had time to adjust to them mm-hmm. and made their um, made their tweaks. Is that what we? Is that what? we can expect from from this team but i think how they started the game against nova and, and and dug in and you know fought back after nova made a run at the end of the first half marcus foster hit a big three at halftime to give him some momentum then they started the second half uh, maybe not as efficient offensively as they would have wanted but they hung in the game and, and made a push and took the lead i mean i i just thought that the way that they sustained their their focus and their um, their attitude and, and their effort was enough to build off of. I was like, yeah, yeah. that that segment is um, is encouraging in the sense that if they can replicate it, you know, that's a good enough effort to beat DePaul, and it's a good enough effort to beat Marquette on the road, and it's a good enough effort to make a run in the Big East tournament, to sneak into the NCAA tournament, or or to safely get into the NCAA tournament and then make a run there. Like, um, you never know what's going to happen. College basketball is yeah. Is, uh, no, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's a to wild forecast game. too far out. We'd be insane but that's what I'm saying. Uh, if yeah, if yeah. you can extrapolate that that performance, yeah, obviously it's bottled it's up. Probably, you, you it's like probably hard to it right yeah. <laughs> bottle it up. It's kind of hard to do to bottle it up every night. But you kind of got a sense of hey, this is what Creighton can be at its best, and that's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of I think would would have been encouraging win or loss, but. Obviously, it, it it resonates a lot stronger after a win. <laughs> that, so, that, yeah, that, that, that perspective. <laughs> no, no kidding. Um, I guess let's let's see if we can maybe. I don't want to map out results, but like this team's ceiling going forward, because obviously this win is going to do. Well, I mean, this win could go two ways. You could either get all fat and happy and lay an egg against DePaul, or it can kind of springboard you into, like, this is what we need every night. Yeah. And the team meeting, you know, you kind of hope they've, from their perspective, that they've kind of, like, identified all the things that they need to do better, and um, then going forward you felt like they'll address those day-to-day as they prepare for the end of the season. The ceiling for this team maybe seed-wise uh, in terms of the NCAA tournament with DePaul at home, at Marquette, um, who lost to DePaul today, so they're, again, back in that desperation mode. Yeah. Um, but I still maintain that they're, they are got to figure out that Rousey-Howard issue because I don't think they can – I don't think they can be consistent with those two guys together for a big stretch of time. Not defensively. But, yeah. Certainly. Um, but how you feel about their, their creating this potential ceiling to kind of put together some momentum going into the NCAA tournament this year? 
where do you feel like yeah. they, can, they can land if they maybe it still you know, feels, bow out on semifinal. It still feels like, like six is probably the max. Okay. I mean, again, I don't like you said. You never know what can happen. I mean, this maybe this win springboards them and they go on a winning streak, finish with two wins in the regular season, make a run in the, in the Big East tournament, and they're like a five seed suddenly. I mean, because once you get to the Big East tournament and you start piling up wins there, that those things they could jump you a seed line. Yeah. With with uh with one or two wins in the Big East, well, you're saying the six is essentially fringe top twenty five is what you're eventually. Yeah, saying that's kind of what it feels like. Okay. The yeah. where they're if they're playing like this, that's where they would land. Sure, um, I think that's fair. But my I, I I'm gonna my prediction would probably be a seven. Okay, just because I'd imagine that there's some I'd imagine there's yeah. some sort of drop off from set this this. This game against Nova, well, yeah, whether I mean, that's you're not playing in front of your home crowd, right? Time, whether that's yeah, there's a lot whether of that comes at Marquette or in the Big East tournament or against DePaul, like at some point there's going to be, uh, you can't. It, it's going to. I think it's probably that was as close to the best that this team can deliver. I think um, given with the, the players they had today, yeah. certainly, yeah. Um, so adding Ronnie back into the mix will help, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. To be at that level, I mean, say if you give it, if you put a, f- a number on it and try to quantify it, one hundred is Creighton's peak. That's as good as they can be. They're probably at like a ninety-one today. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt like. Mm-hmm. Can they play at a ninety for the rest of the season? Yeah, probably can, not. Yeah, There's probably going to be games where they're at like seventy, and that might be a loss. And if that's a loss, and that kind of drops their their resume or their profile a little bit, or, or um, stains it just enough, I think to keep them at a seven maybe even an eight so um but it's obviously a big win it's important i don't know if eight will happen you don't think so i mean i think when you beat villanova it's hard to say you're an eight seed like i feel like because you just you essentially just beat a one seed yeah so. right i feel like you've yeah. eliminated the eight from conversation at this point and you're kind of in you're kind of just stuck in the six seven range right. and maybe five is your absolute ceiling if you win the big east tournament you know what i mean i feel like yeah. if you go if you win out everything from here on until march i think or until the NCAA tournament, you're five, I think, at that at, at, at best. Then I agree with you that most likely they'll land in that six. But it would be – I mean, I don't know what their um, – I mean, just think about if they were to win – let's just say, hypothetically speaking, they win um, maybe their next four games. So they beat DePaul, beat Marquette. Um, they go into the Big East tournament as like a four or a five seed. And well, so, if they win two in the Big East tournament, they'll be in the finals, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what I'm okay, saying. Okay, so okay. they get to the finals. So okay. then they beat um, Seton Hall in the first round and probably would then be Xavier. Ha- Xavier in the second round. No, because Xavier would be the one. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. They're four or five. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah true. Four or five yeah, play yeah, Xavier yeah. as the one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's that would be three group one wins in a four game stretch. Is Butler is five if you yeah, include, yeah, yeah. five if you include um, what happened today? I mean that their their resume t- takes a, a totally different yeah okay. a totally different shape if they were to do something like that. That's why I say like mm-hmm. it's hard to predict because the Big East tournament. I mean they could lose their first game in the Big East tournament. We're not even talking about. Yeah, this I know. Stuff. I'm not going to hold you to this. I was right. just going to have a little fun because mapping it out is kind of interesting. But yeah, yeah you're you're totally right on. It, the, it's on, crazy how yeah. the conference tournament, especially in a league like the Big East, where you're talking about. Um, Oh, six RPI top fifty teams, and Marquette and St. John's are just outside the top fifty. Maybe is yeah. that what it is? Well, I'm not sure St. John's is just outside anymore. Well, I they, thought they were like seventy four, yeah. seventy five. Yeah, um, maybe they've fallen a little bit further than, behind than that, but definitely, definitely ten top one hundred RPI teams. Yeah. Well, no, I take that back. Georgetown and DePaul are outside the top one hundred. The top one hundred Kempom teams, though. Yeah, yeah. top one hundred Kempom. So yeah. anything can happen, but I, I think from a resume standpoint, it really does. Um, it can go you can it's probably not going to hurt you resume wise unless you really need a win like if you need something to cement your your status as an NCAA tournament team it could hurt you obviously if you don't get it done but mm-hmm. honestly it, it's not going to hurt those who are already in the field but it right. can help them right a ton and it'll be interesting to see what the Big East tournament looks like as far as who's in who's out and the matchups based on that because last year it looked like Xavier had played their way out and needed to needed to win some games in in Madison Square Garden to play their way back in, but it felt like everybody else who was there had their fate already decided. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I'm curious to see how that goes this year because I think I think you can argue that Providence, Marquette, and potentially Creighton 
might have to do something in New York, yeah. depending on how the end of the season, end of the regular season goes, to win their way back right. in. Marquette's loss to DePaul today really puts them in a big hole. They might have to get all the way to the finals if not win the whole thing at this point. Yeah. You know, or just, just I don't know who they have left on their regular season schedule. They have Creighton at home, and they have to play, they play like Georgetown or St. John's. Yes, yeah, so they have to go to Georgetown. You're okay. Right. Yeah. Georgetown. Yeah. So they have to go to Georgetown, which isn't easy, and then they host Creighton, and then. You know they probably need to win. If they go, if they win those two, that's only you know Georgetown's a game they should win, right? And then Creighton's one they need it. They'll probably have to win two or three more in in Madison Square Garden yeah. to earn a way in. So they're really kind of at a point where they can't afford another loss. Uh, Providence is almost in that territory. They feel I feel they're probably in right now, but depending on how the rest of the way goes, they have Xavier on the road and St. John's at home. I think right. left so. Yeah. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. I think that's kind of why I didn't. It's kind of why I was like, and we don't have to go into this at all. But it's kind of why I was like shaking my head at some of the negative reaction to Creighton's slump here. It's like because I mean, if you just zoom out, you see that everybody's gone through it, and the good teams have made their way out of it. You know what I mean? So there probably wasn't a lot of. I know there's not a reason, a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but if you're just like kind of keep your perspective chill, and kind of just react in the moment, you're like, okay, Creighton is going through their slump right now, the same slump that everybody's gone through, that some teams have gone through multiple times, yeah. and are still on you know the right side of the bubble. So it's like, that you was, know, they still have an opportunity to fight their way out of it. That was kind of my point, yeah. and, and being around the team for as much as we are, like we get, like it's a veteran team, and you guys, you got a um, potential first round draft pick in Kyrie Thomas and a. Who might have sealed the deal tonight. (laughs) Another potential NBA player in Marcus Foster, and then some Mm -hmm. really eager freshmen, and then other, um, I guess you could call them role players who are veterans that care. I mean, it's it's not the the type of team, the the makeup of it, to just quit. Yeah. And so, like, people were saying, well, you know, maybe they're they're tired and this is as far as they go. But I was just like... Eh, Everyone's tired right now. Let's let yeah. Let's yeah. just let it. You let's find just see out, what they can you do. Find something let's, extra. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see if they can if they can find it within because, um, you know, we again we've been around these guys and they they they've worked since June, um, particularly their two go to guys and Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas have put a ton of time into their game. Mm-hmm. They've transformed themselves as leaders on and off the floor. Like they really care about this. I mean, not just this team and this program, but they they care about the idea of elevating um, or maybe enjoying a fun run in March, doing something that maybe Creighton hasn't done before, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, well, you mentioned reading the guys. Marcus Foster is one guy that's that I feel like reading him is basically you can tell how Creighton's going to perform. That's what I've noticed throughout the season is if you read how he's his body language in practice and how he's just how much energy he has, you can kind of almost grade out what Creighton's going to perform like on game night. And going into the Butler game, it looked like the Marquette game was really affecting him. You know, the look on his face was like, he felt like he let that one go. He felt like maybe how damning of a loss could that be if we don't get this win at Butler. And then he played poorly at Butler and then the team got their tails kicked. Mm -hmm. Going into these practices before Villanova, it was a totally different Marcus Foster. Um, The energy, his positivity, his aggressiveness... Um, his rebounding, we mentioned, um, you know, and those rebounding drills in practice. And then also talking to him in the scrum yesterday and just asking him, you know, like, your backs are finally against the wall, but probably at the worst time of the year to have your backs against the wall. And your senior season that you came back for without hesitation is winding down as well. And his, his like, his energy in his response to those questions seemed like he's he's – He's, he knows that the team is going to be fine going forward and that they're going to start turning in some of their better efforts because they know that there's not a lot of time left to mess around. Right. Um, so that was just something like reading him and then seeing today, putting those two together, I'm not surprised. Surprise, yeah. They beat Villanova without Ronnie? Yeah. You, you told me that was going to happen? No way. <laughs> no. Um, I but, thought I – thought, I'm not going to lie. I did think that seven points, that, that spread was a little much. But, oh, you uh, thought it was much? Okay. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought I thought it was going to be a game where actually, I don't know if, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I kind of thought it would it play out exactly similar to how it did, except below, below. except Villanova would pull away down the stretch, like they do. and then as it turned out, uh, Creighton was the team that 
um, was tougher and sharper and just had a little bit more will mm-hmm. down the stretch than than Villanova, which was, that was what was surprising. So, yeah, um, yeah you credit Creighton for that, but now it's got to find a way because uh, yeah, plays yeah. again in two days against a team that um, kind of had its number a little bit. I thought that from so a matchup standpoint. So I'm curious to see like what you felt about it in person because I, you know. Watching it on TV, you almost get like so much of a perspective of it. I feel like you can see mismatches better in person. Like when you're kind of watching it play out, and you kind of feed, feel the crowd, feel the player energy. You can kind of see who who's confident in what matchup. So, what was your takeaway from the DePaul Creighton matchup in Chicago that that gives you the impression that Creighton's going into a game where it's must win, but it's not like guaranteed senior day blowout right. type of deal. Well, Eli Kane. Um, I thought he, when he's on, he's got to make shots. Yeah. But um, he's turned himself into a sort of a distributor, a manager of their offense. Um, if he's hitting shots, it it elevates him to a different level. Because I think you know where you're going to get from Struess. And with Kyrie Thomas, it probably means his, his production is going to be uh, limited. But, and I think you also know what you're going to get. Probably. Sorry. Oh, sorry, 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 bud. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, probably probably going to be limited. Most likely going to be limited. Um, Will be limited. Okay, and <laughs> uh, the big guy inside, Marin uh, Marich. Marich. Yep. I think you know that he's gonna he's gonna have his way. Uh, yeah. He's gonna get eighteen to twenty, most likely. Um, but what does Eli Kane do? What are, What are the other pieces at, at DePaul? Uh, for DePaul, how do they contribute? And I thought, in, at least in, for the first, uh, it might have been for the entire game, but it really felt like for the first half, um, those auxiliary pieces really hurt Creighton. And it's kind of weird to call Eli Kane an auxiliary piece because he was their leading scorer well, last year. Well, from the scoring perspective, right. it's an auxiliary piece. Right. Like, it's an exactly. auxiliary part of his game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my, I guess my question is, are, are those players going to be ready to go for DePaul? If they are, Creighton yeah. is going to be in trouble because they can't, because they have to load up. I mean, Kyrie's going to be locked on on on, on Struess, and Creighton's going to have to help or find ways to cleverly bother uh, Marich down low. It's going to open up things for other players. And um, but if they if they if they maintain the um, the amount of discipline and focus and effort that they played with against Villanova, they should be all right against DePaul. It's just um, if you if you have, are just a notch below where you should be or where you need to be. Teams in this league tend to find a way to capitalize on it. And I thought that's what DePaul did. I, I don't. I didn't think it was a great. Again, I, I, I do. I do, I do kind of fall on that line of I don't know if it was a great matchup for Creighton in Chicago. That, right. I think that um, especially because of that way they crashed off. I think their yeah. I think their margin for error is just smaller. Mm-hmm. And Creighton wasn't. It, it didn't. It didn't play its A game. And because of that, DePaul had a chance to win. And maybe even should have won, honestly. Yeah. But uh, but Creighton pulled it out, and I think at, at least from a if you're looking at it from the perspective perspective of can Creighton uh, get off cloud nine and get back, strap it up, and and re- be ready to fight again on Tuesday. High, I mean, because you if you just think about what today was, they're the highest ranked team they've ever beaten in their history. The no win they needed badly. Um, based on how their season might have gone if they didn't get the win, like all the things that would tend would would lend to lead you like into a direction like, oh yeah, Creighton is gonna be celebrating this for days, and they might not be locked in. Like you know, I think the 2015-2016 team beat Xavier when they were number five in the country, and I'm pretty sure they lost the next game after that because they when they beat number five Xavier, they put themselves like kind of in the discussion of, oh here comes a late surge to make things for the tournament. And I think they lost six out of the last seven after that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it could, it could, this win can springboard you if you kind of forget it and focus on what the things that you did right to get it in the first place and use that going forward instead of saying, oh, we beat Villanova. That means we can beat DeVal, Marquette, and whoever else. Right, play, right. right? Like, instead of expecting that to happen just based on showing up and that's, thinking, well, we beat Villanova, we can beat them. Like, that's the challenge. Yeah, that's that's what that will be the challenge coming when they But I think, I guess one of the things that maybe the coaches can use to catch their attention is like, look, we went to DePaul and they should beat us. Yeah. So if we're not, if we're not, and they just beat Marquette, the team that stomped us on our home floor in the second half. Mm-hmm. They should. There's plenty of things that I would imagine could grab the attention, and it. And they have enough veterans on the team and enough people who've experienced. I mean, where 
almost to March. Everyone should know it by this point that uh, the Big East is <laughs> – you take a night off and you're going to get beat most likely. So. Yeah. Plus um, it's – plus what the other thing is senior day. And Creighton has a really special senior in Marcus Foster um, that I think – And Toby. Come on. Give no, Toby, no, I mean, I'm just talking about special oh, talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Toby, Toby and Tyler are certainly special players for sure. Um, Tyler's about to get his master's for crying out loud. Incredible. I, yeah, come on. That's just, that's so stupid. For all he knows on the basketball court, and he's about to get his master's off of it, that's crazy. Um, Toby I'm a little interested about because Toby's, Toby's mom was obviously just came out of surgery from uh, having breast cancer, so – She's not going to be there for senior day, so I'm... Most likely, that's what he said, yeah. Yeah, and I'm curious. I still need to talk to him about it a little bit before that game going in to see how that might affect his psyche a little bit because I think he might be... You know, I just don't know what I'm going to knowing, get. That's knowing emotion, Toby, that's emotional. It's very emotional, like, but knowing Toby, I feel like it'll, it'll be a pretty inspiring sort of idea for him. I'm actually... I, we talked to him a couple days ago about how he... Or no, it was Friday. Yep. Hey, how are you feeling? And he's like, I'm great. Like, I feel good. I think he's in... That feels I mean, like Toby right yeah, there. Yeah, I think he... He, he was... The, I mean, certainly, how can you not be bothered by yeah, something like that? Right. I mean, it's on your mind 24-7, I'm sure. Um, but he he was saying the right things, and he, he looked like he had a, a different sort of bounce in his step in practice on Friday. And, you know, maybe he, he didn't have the game that I'm sure he wanted to against Villanova. I mean, part of the reason is Jacob Everson played really well and took, uh, logged a lot of the minutes down the stretch. Um Hegner had a bucket against his own, which actually was an important bucket. But, yeah. Um, but I think it's there. I guess that's what I'm saying. I think that that um, at any moment you could you could see Toby put it together, and he's dropping 15, hitting mm-hmm. four bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, teams are doing a good job of taking away that three pointer from him, and now it's up to him to try to adjust. Well, he'll be a big but, part of the DePaul game if you think about his defensively his ability. Mold, mold, I think the other way. Oh, making Marge move a little bit. Yeah, yeah making that's them it. guard him on the perimeter yeah. because that because what they like to you know the way they rebound the basketball and you know get out and move. I think making those fives have to guard as much of the floor as possible. It's, is it's always be a key to, in the game when you're playing a team that's going to try to pound you down low yes, yeah. uh, with their five. That's it I usually think, yeah. means their five isn't as mobile, and you got to find a way to run the floor. Um, to put them in ball screens, to keep them moving, you know, popping, rolling, mm-hmm. do something so that they're constantly, they're constantly working. Yep. Maybe you can tire them out that way. Um, and Toby's obviously got a big part in that. So, um, yeah, it'll be an emotional day for a lot of the guys, I'm sure. And, and uh, you hope that they'll be able to bottle that up and use it in a positive manner in a game that they obviously need to win against Paul. Sounds good. I think we've covered uh, all the bases here. Um so we'll sign off uh, from Creighton Villanova and um, come back at you after on senior night after Creighton plays uh, DePaul in their home finale. What day is it? Tuesday. 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 Yep. So yeah, a few days away. Creighton will get back to practice tomorrow. It doesn't seem like they're gonna have a day off before that, so they're just gonna get right back right into it. Right? I can't Sunday, imagine Monday, that they, and then yeah. play. Yep. And then maybe they take Wednesday off and then yep. Thursday, Friday, play Saturday against Marquette. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, Ronnie Harrell is day to day. We talked to him after the game. Um, he said he thinks he can play Tuesday. Yeah, he said he thought he might be able to, if this tonight was a 7 p.m. tip-off, he might have been able to get himself ready to play tonight. I don't know how realistic that comment mm-hmm. was, but he seems optimistic that he can get himself. It was on crutches, though. True. I mean, but that's a precautionary thing. Yeah. So. But, I mean, it's like, it's not, it's, it's still not a, yeah. It's still, it's still, it, is, it's, it means sure. that it's not just like an ankle sprain that you, like, rolled your ankle and you're just walking no, it it's off. it's weird, right? It's like a swollen, it's like a, an infection. An infection. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got to be treated and... It's, it was like one of the more puzzling things I heard today was yeah. Ronnie's not playing. I was like, I just literally saw him like balling out of practice <laughs> so like, less than 24 hours yeah, ago. I'm like, I'm I very got, confused. I got a text message maybe in a 45 minutes before tip-off. Um, that Creighton not even hit the floor yet to, for warm-ups, and someone was like, Ronnie's out? And I go, what? I don't, I don't know anything about that. Because the last thing I saw was him and Mitch were the last two guys to leave the floor Right and, here on the same court yes. after practice. Like, and Ronnie left running off the court talking trash because he had just beaten Mitch in a shooting <laughs> game. So, like, everything looked good to go. But apparently Ronnie said, uh, at, you know, before practice he knew that there was something, like, something wrong, but it wasn't, like, a injury. So he just practiced through it yeah. and then was fine, and then it got worse overnight. So it's, like, one of those things where he kind of just didn't manage it right away and didn't take it seriously when it happened because he thought he could just – 
he didn't think it was a big deal at the time, so he practiced through it and practiced okay and got through it. So it was surprising to hear that he was out because from all of our indications, we saw him finishing practice just fine and even staying. He was the last, he was second, second to last guy to leave the floor. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so, yeah, it was very surprising. But, um, yeah, so that the status update on him, sorry for taking so long to get to that. He is day-to-day. Um, they're treating him with antibiotics. Um, stay off his feet and things like that. I don't know. I don't expect him to be at practice tomorrow or practicing tomorrow, but it sounds like he might be able to get himself ready for DePaul. Um, that's as much as we know at this point. So Creighton might be back to um, full strength minus Martin for that DePaul game. Um, so, yeah, until Tuesday night, uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, uh, check out our post-game coverage at whiteandbluereview.com, um, and we'll get you ready for the DePaul game. We got the new video, Kyrie Fence Volume 2 is up on YouTube, and um, we got that out for the Villanova game, so check that out if you haven't already. Might need to add a couple volumes. Yeah, I mean, I mean a couple, hopefully a couple more. Clips. Maybe that block, ho- hopefully not hit. an NBA jersey yet, but that, yeah. That block he had on, uh, on Brunson yeah, and, was, at the end. That was a big what play. When Brunson brought him down into the paint and then yeah. faded away and Kyrie got a piece of it finally. Unfortunately, I think that Villanova got the offensive rebound, and then Brunson had the end one yep. um, on that same possession. But it was sure. still a nice play. <laughs> and and he just clipped that block and, out. And the, the we I know you didn't talk about my favorite play of the night either. My that that ten person scrum that was, was wild. like that was a crazy. I fight. That was unfortunate. I was sitting courtside and I couldn't see because the ref was in my way. Oh really? So basically, all that happened on, was just I hate like that, don't you? it was just like a um, you know a, a collision of bodies. It was like all, all of a sudden, like yeah. everything swarmed to the center, like gravity or a magnet sucking yeah. everybody yeah. in and I couldn't see them. Yeah. They was like they're all blocked by this ref and then like Kyrie runs away with Squirts the ball away or something. Ball, yeah, right? I'm like, wait, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it looked like just like a um like ten different people just sprinted into each other. Four of them fell down, somebody had the ball and, and Yeah, he ended up missing the front end and almost costing them the game after that. But that play was still big, so that was a hurt play of the night. So that was that was that was definitely going that's definitely going in Kyrie Finn's volume three. Um but yeah, so, and then check out John's work, sorry. Check out John's work at Omaha.com and buy a freaking newspaper, Omaha World Herald. Um, he does great work all season long on multiple sports, but especially men's basketball. Um, everything you need to know is in there. So buy a newspaper, support John. Like I said, he's got a wedding to pay for this summer, so yeah. let's go. Come on, you got to support Thanks, this guy. Like, you got to help this guy out. He's gotta, where are you guys going for the honeymoon? Do you know yet? I think we're going to Maine. Where? Maine. Okay, so maybe you don't have to buy a newspaper, but that'll be fine. But oh, I'm just, on, man, oh, sorry. Get on Maine. Uh, like, I only know Maine. one person from Maine. John McHugh's the only person I know from Maine. So like, Oh, really? He's from Maine? Yeah. i got to pick his brain a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you need to. So I've like, heard. Find out the top vacation going spots to Maine, in Maine. Like, going to Maine in July, man. It's gorgeous. That's really? That's what I've heard. Acadian National Forest. you got the beach. Get some uh, clam chowder. It's going to be a good trip. Okay. Maine. All right, yeah. So buy a newspaper so John can go to Maine for his honeymoon. Um, and have you, a don't, good you don't seem excited. It's fine. It's <laughs> no, fine. I'm, I'm excited. You but. should be excited. How about that? Like, <laughs> right. it's not my honeymoon, John. It's yours. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, until Tuesday night, we'll we'll talk to you after senior night. Thanks for listening, everybody.